Well, good morning, Sunnybrook. It is uh, truly good to be with you. Uh, like Jim just mentioned, we've been in Japan working uh, with an organization called Mustard Seed Network for quite some time now. Uh, it's been almost 12 years, and for the majority of that time, we've been partnered with Sunnybrook. Mustard Seed Network exists to glorify God by making disciples through planting gospel-centered churches in urban Japan, and our ministry goes forward uh, because of you and the support and the partnership that we have with you. I don't always get the opportunity to be in front of you and to tell you thank you face-to-face, but thank you. We are, are truly grateful for this partnership. Our four kids, four, six, eight, ten, it's an even number year, uh, they are right now back in the, uh, the Sunnybrook Kids program, uh, but the Sunnybrook Kids program has also come to them twice when you guys sent trips. Uh, they, they kind of put on a VBS of sorts for our whole team and all the kids that are part of our team, and we were really blessed by that. So we're thankful for this church. Japan is a country where less than 1% of the people in Japan believe in Jesus. Less than 1% are Christians. There's one church for every 16,000 people in Japan. If you're wondering, what in the world is that like? What does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? Uh, There's one church for every 800 in the United States. Uh, The average size of these churches in Japan is 35 people. They have less than one baptism a year on average. 88% of people in Japan do not know a Christian. And so it's estimated that well over 90% have never heard the gospel. And so we want to take that gospel message to as many people as we possibly can. And we want to establish churches that will hold out the gospel in these big cities in Japan. So this is where I'm going to start today, and this is where I'm going to end. God receives glory through the church. God is glorified by this collective of people, this local church, and most of all, God is glorified through the global church. Now, I know Jim just prayed, and of all the things he told me not to do, he didn't tell me to not pray again. So I want to pray again. That's okay. I just want to pray before we get going, and and we're going to talk about the church. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, I pray that you will Help all of us to have hearts that are open to your word. I pray that you challenge us through your word today. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be packed in your word that we read and the way that I try to explain it, God. Help me to explain it clearly. I pray that uh, afterwards people will not talk about how I did, but will talk about what I said. And I pray, God, that they will talk about your mission and the mission of the church And they will talk about how we can glorify you, Lord God, as your body. And so I pray that you'll guide us right now as we look at your word. And we thank you that we get to know you and to know your word and what you want us to do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, church, what is the mission of the church? We want to glorify God, someone's just said, absolutely. And the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go to all nations and make disciples, make disciples. And when Jesus said, go make disciples, was he saying, okay, guys, I want you to go out there and take all of those Christians that already are out there and help them to grow deeper. No, of course not. When Jesus said, go make disciples, there were no Christians out there. He was saying, go and tell people who have never heard about me, tell them about me, tell them the good news and tell them to follow me and then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So it's that the whole beginning to end of someone's Christian walk of telling them about Jesus and evangelism and then helping them to grow deeper and deeper. That's the mission. Go make disciples. How do you do that? You share the gospel. 
people need to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus, so that they have an opportunity to believe it or reject it. Until someone hears the gospel, they are incapable of believing the gospel and being saved. Paul said this in Romans chapter 10, New Testament book of Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. He said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How are you saved? Because you're good? Is that why you're saved? Because you're moral? Because you're smart? Because you're disciplined? No. Because in God's sovereignty, He aligned things in such a way that someone would share the gospel with you. He used the church. He used believers to bring you the good news about Jesus, which is really a humbling thought. We sinned, we rebelled against God, we broke the relationship with God, we don't deserve to know God, we don't deserve heaven, we don't deserve hope, we don't deserve a life that is full in Jesus right now, but God not only sent His Son to die for our sins and then rose three days later, God then also used the church to bring us the gospel message so that we could hear it and believe it and be saved. That map in the lobby that you passed on your way in is going to help you see how the gospel came to you. And all of this is grace. We didn't earn this salvation. We received it by grace. Romans 10 gives us our mission in Japan, and it gives you your mission right here in Oklahoma. We are sent. You are sent to Oklahoma. And maybe you're thinking, no, actually, I was born in Oklahoma. No, no, no. Uh, You were sent. God decided you would be born here. And in that way, you have been sent here so that you could preach the gospel, you could speak that message, and then many people will hear. And then after hearing it, some, not all, but some will believe. And we want to make many believers. Well, what happens when you make a group of believers? That's starting to look like a local church. All believers are members of God's global church, And I understand you've been studying the book of Acts, which Luke wrote in 62 AD, and it tells about the birth of the global church, of the church in Acts 2, and the spread of the gospel and the establishment of local churches all over the Roman world. This has been happening all over the world ever since. Christians have gone into new places to preach the gospel, make disciples, and then gather those disciples into churches to worship and be taught to obey Jesus. This is what we're doing in Japan. This is what you're doing right here. And every local church had a time when it was planted. And this local church, Sunnybrook, this was planted in 1976. This church continues to testify to the gospel in this city and make many more disciples. It's made many more disciples ever since 1976. Like Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.15, this church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. If anyone's looking for truth out there, the the, the church is a truth dealer. You can go and find truth there. They're a pillar and foundation of the truth. I wonder how many hundreds of disciples have been made through this church because of the constant gospel witness in Stillwater. And we want many more churches like this in Japan and all over the world. Like the church in Antioch in Acts 13 that we just read about, This established church in Stillwater has sent others 
around the world to share the gospel in order to make disciples and establish churches that do the same. Our ministry in Japan is just one example of that. So last week, you finished Acts chapter 28. Uh, We're at the very end of the book, right? You wrapped up the book. And at the end of the book, Paul is under guard in Rome, and he's telling people about Jesus. And the book ends, but we know that's not actually the end of Paul. Paul would be released and his ministry would continue, uh, but Luke doesn't tell us what Paul did next. However, the nice thing is that we don't have to wonder what Paul did next because Paul continued to do what Paul always did, and Luke told us what Paul always did in Acts chapter 13 and 14. We just read it. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, Paul and Barnabas, he was called Saul back then, they're sent out by the diverse leadership of the church in Antioch on Paul's first missionary journey. So at the end of chapter 14, they return to Antioch and they give a report of their work. Now, if you're the note-taking type, this text gives us what Tim Keller calls the three phases of the normal ministry of Paul. These are my headings for them. Number one, gospeling. Number two, strengthening. And number three, planting. So number one, gospeling. Preach the gospel to make disciples. This is the first thing Paul did when he entered a city. I want you to do a quick review of his missionary journey and notice the speaking of the message. So jump around in there. I I noticed the first and second service. It's wonderful to hear all the page flapping as the text was happening. So let's hear that again, okay? Chapter 13, verses 16 through 41, Paul preaches the gospel message in Antioch and Pisidia, the region of Galatia. The result, verse 48, some believed and were saved, and justified, and reconciled to God. Chapter 14, verse 1, new place, Iconium. It says they spoke, they spoke, and a great number believed. Chapter 14, verse 8, now in Lystra, Paul is speaking, and a crippled man is listening to Paul speaking. Paul then heals the guy, pandemonium breaks out, it ends in a good old stoning of Paul. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 20 says, the disciples gathered about him, and he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, like the next day after people threw rocks at him till they thought he was dead. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, the city of Derbe, and made many disciples, says verse 21. They preached the gospel, and the result, they made many disciples. Notice, now, that throughout this journey, Paul is working in cities, And his future missionary journeys, we're going to see this focus on cities to an even greater degree when he goes to Corinth and Ephesus and Athens and Rome. Christianity was born in a city, Jerusalem, which was filled with many cultures and languages on Pentecost. Similarly today, our cities, and especially our college and university cities, are globalized and filled with languages and cultures from all over the world, representing this amazing opportunity for the gospel, just like we saw in Acts chapter 2. In Japan, over 75% of the people who have been baptized at our Mustard Seed Network churches, there's four of them now, over 75% of the people baptized there have been Japanese. However, by God's grace, we've also baptized people from China and Indonesia and Pakistan and Vietnam and Australia, the United States of America, South Korea, the Philippines, and Brazil, preaching in the now globalized cities gives us this amazing opportunity to reach the nations. And you have that same opportunity because of OSU. 
When we enter these huge cities, my family and I, we just moved to Tokyo to plant a new church in Tokyo, 37 million people. It can be so overwhelming, but the task is really clear. Speak the gospel message. This message, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, this message is the power unto salvation, and it must be preached. It has to be spoken. Content must be transferred. I sometimes hear people talk about, you know, you need to live the gospel. Go be the gospel to your neighborhood. You really can't do that. I can't live the gospel. I can live in light of the gospel. I can live out the implications of the gospel. But you cannot live the gospel. You cannot be the gospel. It's a message. It's good news. It's good news about what God did in time and space to save us. If if you ask me for my email address, I have to communicate information to you. I cannot live my email address. I cannot be my email address. I have to transfer content to you to tell you my email address. And when you turn on the nightly news, people will be speaking about events. This is the nature of news. The gospel is news. Here's some news. There is one God, and we rebelled against God through sin. A baby was born of a virgin. Prophecies were fulfilled. The sinless God-man died on the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day. Salvation is now offered to you by grace through faith. This is good news. And we, church, must preach the gospel. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 1, didn't he? Verse 17, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. Some translations, or you might have a footnote that says, the folly of preaching. It pleased God through the folly of preaching what we preach, to save those who believe. Years ago, in our church plant in Osaka, we really leaned into this text, and I decided to do a four-week series on the Passion of the Christ, four weeks on the cross leading up to Easter. And so we wrote the sermons, had all the slides made, all that kind of stuff. We did all these English outreach things at our church that time. We had the, the, the majority of people who were coming every Sunday were non-Christians. So we're just trying to get them there to hear the gospel. We run Facebook ads, flyers. Everyone's inventing, or inviting all of their friends. And then the day before, it hit me. We're doing all this work, and I'm asking my team to do all this work to get people there to hear about the cross, and then it hits me. I'm looking at people on the train and thinking, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care about this. The cross doesn't seem relevant to them at all. This is just total foolishness. And this passage came to life for me. God has ordained a way to save people. And it's through the foolishness of preaching a foolish message. In God's wisdom, the message of the cross, the gospel changes lives. Look further into Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3-5. through 5. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. What is this demonstration of the spirit and power? Because that sounds pretty cool. I think I want that. Demonstration of spirit and power. What is that? The context tells us. It says, when people who are opposed to God hear a message about a bloody Jewish guy nailed to a stick on a hill 2,000 years ago in Israel, and they then repent and are born again, that shows the power of God. How else do you explain the foolish method of people preaching, just standing up and talking about a foolish message in the eyes of the world, and then people are transformed? It's the power of God. That's supernatural conversion, not man-made. And after preaching on the cross for four weeks, a 29-year-old Japanese businessman was baptized on Easter. And three more Japanese men in their 20s were baptized in the following month. One of them is now on our staff training to be a pastor. The message of the cross saves those who believe. And people coming to believe through the preaching of the cross, that causes others to take note that God is doing something in our churches. When a church grows through promising prosperity and health and wealth or because of some dynamic personality, nobody's surprised. Anybody could explain that through merely human means. However, People who are enemies of God, being reconciled to God after hearing a weak sinner get up and proclaim the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, how do you explain that outside the power of God? Paul traveled throughout these cities, putting on a demonstration of the spirit and power when he preached the gospel, and we desperately want to do that in Japan. We moved to Japan in February 2008, and we entered into a year and a half of language and culture learning. 18 months, we're just in language school, we're trying to make friends, we're trying to, trying to do evangelism as we can, and if we're really, we're really generous with ourselves, maybe for that first 18 months, maybe our team shared the gospel with five or six people. And what I mean, what I mean by shared the gospel with five or six people is not, hey, I'm a Christian, and look, I'm kind of nice. Hey, have you seen my nice family? Yeah, we're Christians, you know. Have you noticed I don't swear? I'm a Christian. Not that. I'm talking about the gospel message. Not our morality, what God did, the good news about Jesus, maybe we shared with five or six people. Zero people came to Christ in the first 18 months. And so we started, we just said, gosh, if we could get some kind of place where people could just sit down and give the gospel a hearing, some place where they could sit and listen to Jesus and give Jesus a hearing, like Paul did in Acts, we see him going into the synagogue and people are just listen, ready to listen. Or the Areopagus in Acts 17 or the Hall of Tyrannus in Acts 19 where he just talked about the good news of Jesus every day. We wanted a place where people could hear Jesus plainly spoken. And so in December of 2009, we decided to start, uh, we uh, launch a church in the city of Nagoya. It's a city of 9 million people, so think Chicago or Paris, about that size. And we thought if we could just do a weekly service, then people would be able to come and sit down and listen and hear the gospel and give Jesus a hearing. And we just needed a place. We needed a place where we could invite people and have this church service. And so we're looking for this place, and one night I'm looking for a cheeseburger. And so I go out, and I'm, I, I find this sports bar called Strikers that, that's serving a cheeseburger. So I go in, and I say, I'd like a cheeseburger, and they give me a cheeseburger. And I'm talking with the two guys who, who own the sports bar, and they are two Indian Muslim Muslim men, right? And they're talking to me about this, this, uh, this nice sports bar that they have and telling me all about it and when they started it. And they mentioned that they have a party room on the second floor. And I said, tell me about this party room. This seems interesting. This has potential. And come to find out there's like 43 chairs 
It has a projector. It has a screen. It has a sound system. Got a soundboard. I'm thinking, well, this sounds good. This sounds right. I say, hey, would you, would you be interested in allowing me to rent out your sports bar every Sunday for a Christian church service? And they say, sure, if the price is right. So I don't know if you're, if you're keeping score. I'm talking about two Muslim guys here, and, there's, and, they're, and they're running a sports bar filled with alcohol, which, according to Islam, is a no-no. And they're also serving a pepperoni pizza, pork product, which, once again, that's a no-no, and they're renting it out to a Christian church. So they're not up for Muslim of the Year award, these two guys. But that worked to our advantage, right? And we had a good relationship with these guys. We were able to meet there. And over that first year of, of meeting and just having regular services where people could come and hear the gospel, 230 people came to church at least once. So 230 people heard the gospel at least one time, seven people were baptized. I'm saying, oh, look at that. We take the gospel seed, we scatter it over more soil. Some of it's going to fall on good soil. Let's continue to do this. Let's do this more and more. So two years later, uh, my wife and I, and then another couple, Seth and Megan Phillip, we were sent to Osaka to start another church there, another place where we could weekly share the gospel message and let people come in contact with this good news about Jesus. And we decided, let's set a crazy goal. Let's say in the first year, we're going to share the gospel with 500 people, and we're praying for that, asking God to do something amazing. And before we moved, the plan was to move in September and then launch the church uh, with weekly services in December. Before we move, August 8th, we're still living in Nagoya, about a two-and-a-half-hour drive to Osaka, and we're about to move, and one morning on, I'm, I'm talking to my mom on Skype. And my mom is saying, well, how in the world are you going to go to a city where you don't know anything, and you don't know anybody, and you're going to start a church? How are you going to do that? And I said, well, that's a great question, Mom. Uh, we're going to try this, we're going to try this, we're going to try this. But what I'd really like to do is I'd like to have some kind of big outreach event with maybe a big Christian name, uh, have people that show up and uh, share the gospel at the event, and then funnel people who are interested into the church plant. That would be great. And I said the guy who'd be perfect for this is a baseball player named Matt Merton. Matt Merton played for the Cubs, the Rockies, the A's, Boston Red Sox, um, and he goes over to Japan, and if you're a baseball fan, in his first year, he broke Ichiro's single-season hitting record. So he was big, they loved him, and he's playing for the Hanshin Tigers, that's Osaka's team, that's where we're moving. I said, man, it'd be awesome if I could do an event with this guy. I found out he's a Christian because he was doing a Christian commercial for the Franklin Graham Crusade on YouTube, right? And so I said, it'd be awesome if I could do this, uh, this event with this guy, but I don't know how to contact him, even if I could contact him. My church is zero people. He does the Franklin Graham Crusade, there's no way it'd work out. So my mom then says, on the morning of August 8th, she says, well, I'm going to pray that you meet him. Said, oh, thanks, mom. You know, he's like, you're, you know, your mom's your biggest fan, you know. And, um, and so I, I, I hung up the call. I, don't, I, I didn't think a thing about it after that, you know. And that same day, August 8th, in the evening, we go out to dinner as a family, and we're trying to figure out what restaurant. Finally, we land on a restaurant. We get to the restaurant. They escort us in. We sit down, and we look across the aisle, and right there, right across from us is Matt Merton and his family having dinner. And we're walking in, and my, you know, my wife's like, is that him? I think, yeah, that's him, that's him, that's him. And she's take, taking out her phone to, to Google images of Matt Merton to make sure that that's actually him. And I'm like, no, no, look at those arms. That's a professional athlete. That's him. Um, and so I'm thinking, this is, you know, a six-hour turnaround on a prayer request. I think I've got to go talk to the guy. And so I go up to his table. I can tell he's about done. You know, I go up to his table. I say, uh, excuse me, um, are you Matt Merton? He says, yeah. I say, I heard you're a Christian. He says, yeah. 
kind of seemed excited and interested. And I said, well, this is going to sound really weird. Um, but this morning, someone prayed that I would meet you. And he kind of looks at his wife like, oh, dear. And um, I said, relax, I'm a pastor at a church here in Nagoya. Next month, I'm moving to Osaka. And if you're interested, I would love to do some kind of event to impact that city for Jesus. And he took out his phone and he said, well, what's your email? And he types it in and, and he hits send and he says, now you have my email. He says, thank you for, so much for coming up to the table because lately it's just been baseball, baseball, baseball. And I'm like, God, don't you have me here for a reason or some kind of purpose? And he would later tell me that for two days before our meeting, his wife, uh, he and his wife had been praying for an opportunity to share Jesus in Japan. And he said, you're an answer to that prayer. And so we then started this relationship, talking to one another and planning this outreach event to try to share Jesus. And it was incredibly humbling for me because, uh, if I'm really, really honest, I didn't anticipate that that prayer would be answered. It was like I felt like, you know, my vision for the church is here. I hope I could bring God along to it. That would be cool. And God told me, you know what, my vision for this church is actually bigger than yours, Jay. This whole mission of reconciling people to myself, I've been at that long before you. This is my mission. You get to be a tiny part of it. What, you want to meet a baseball player? Sure, that's easy. Fine. We'll do that. <laughs> God's vision for this is way bigger than ours, and he ended up helping us put together this event, and 300 people came to the event and heard the gospel before we even had the first service. Uh, through a connection our church plant that first year, I got to go and preach the gospel at a, at a, at a school where 1,400 people, uh, students and, and teachers, um, heard the gospel. And in that first year, we think nearly 2,000 people heard the gospel message. And so you're thinking, oh, goodness, wow, how many baptisms did you have? You know, let's do the math here. You had 230, and then you had seven. So what are we talking, 2,000? I mean, what, 50, 60, 70 people? How many did you have? Eight we had eight people baptized, and we thank God for it because God did that. But this is not simple math. It's not just plug in the right number and then you'll have this. This is something God does. We know, I, we, we, we don't, I lost count. We know it's over 10,000. I think somewhere closer to 15,000 people through our four churches that we planted have heard the gospel. We, uh, as of a couple weeks ago, we've now had over 150 people baptized at our churches. And sometimes people in Japan say, how have you had this kind of fruit? And I like to say, the way you have 150 people baptized in Japan is you get rejected 10,000 times. This is not simple math. This is something God does. Our job is to continue to share the gospel to as many people as we possibly can and then trust God and let, let him do what he wants to do. In the second year of our church plant in Osaka, my friend Yuki came to a Monday night outreach service. Yuki is a... Uh, he's. He's a Japanese guy. At that time, he was in his 20s. He's a jazz drummer. And Yuki heard the gospel, and he wrestled, and he read, and he researched, and he was an atheist at the time, and so he asked tough questions. And ultimately, it was the message of the cross that melted his heart. And in tears, Yuki decided that he would follow Jesus, and he was baptized in the third year of our church plant in Osaka. He's one of the people who we've seen come to Jesus in Japan. People have been saved in Japan and around the world because they heard that message. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power unto salvation. The power unto salvation is what? It's not. The power unto salvation is not our character, not our good works, not our leadership, not our neato multiplication strategies. The gospel is the power unto salvation. So, Sunnybrook, go gospel Stillwater. 
Preach the gospel outside the church and in the church and in your family. And make relationships so that you can share the gospel or don't. And share the gospel with people that are total strangers or people who don't even like you. Just preach that message because the message is the power unto salvation. So that's point one. Preach the gospel in the city. What did Paul normally do next? Number two, strengthening. Teach the faith to strengthen the disciples. I want you to look at the second half of verse 21 and then verse 22 in Acts 14. It says, They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So verse 21, he's in Derby. We have a map here. And at this point, Paul could have said, you know what, my hometown, Tarsus, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. We should go over to Tarsus, and then from there, we'll go right on home to Antioch. That would have been the fastest, easiest route. But look at what they do instead. It says they return to Lystra, into Iconium, into Antioch. Map 2 shows us they retrace their steps back to the cities where they had made disciples. Paul and Barnabas don't do the easy thing. They do what's good for the church. Don't do the easy thing. Do what's good for the church. They strengthen the disciples. They don't just proclaim the gospel at a rally or an event, make a disciple, and then leave them. Verse 22 says, They encourage them to continue in the faith. Not faith. The faith. This is a set body of doctrine. We teach this is truth. This is reality revealed by God. This is the gospel. This is the way to live. Doesn't this remind you of Jesus in Matthew 28 saying, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Part of the great commission is teaching. And one of the ways that we strengthen our churches is by preparing them for hardship. In verse 22, he tells them, in life, on your way to heaven with God, you will have tribulations. My friend Yuki, I just told you about, he was baptized in December right before going home for New Year's. And when he did, he told his parents that he became a Christian. And his father said, get out of my house, you are not my son. So on New Year's, a family holiday in Japan, I remember sitting with Yuki in my office as he told me about this. And I was able to show him Jesus' words in Matthew 10 about the division that following Jesus might cause in a family And I was able to tell him, according to the New Testament, you are living the normal Christian life. Fast forward five years, Yuki is now an apologetics teacher and preacher in our churches. A good one. And he has led five Japanese men to Christ. One of them led another to Christ. Last year, a young biology major showed up. A new bright young man showed up to our church to ask really hard questions. And he was baptized in October, and his parents responded in the same way that Yuki's did. They said, we didn't raise you like this. We didn't raise you to become a Christian. But this time, with this guy, I told him, you know, you should really talk to Yuki about this. And he said, Yuki already reached out to me. We're getting together later this week. Yuki was able to comfort him with the comfort that he'd received. As the pressure from the world escalates, churches must be communities ready to encourage one another as we go through many tribulations. 
So number one, Paul gospeled the city. Number two, he strengthened the disciples. And next, number three, he organizes the disciples into congregations and he places leadership over them. We might call this church planting. So number three, planting. Plant churches that will glorify Christ. Acts 14, verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church... He doesn't call them disciples anymore. Verse 21, 22, he called them disciples. Now he's calling them a church. He appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul established local churches by placing leadership over them. In the seventh year of our church plant in Osaka, we had our oversight called a management team. It's made up of, of pastors and church leaders from the United States. They, they flew to Japan, and they laid hands on these men that we had been training for a year. These qualified men, they ordained them into eldership over the local church. When you preach the gospel, you will make disciples. And that group of disciples will need leadership placed over it. As Paul said in Titus 1.5, appoint elders in every town. And you then commit that church to God. And you see what God will do through that congregation. And when a church is planted, nobody knows its potential for the kingdom of God. When a church is planted, no one knows how it will change the world. A few years ago, we did the same project with a map that you guys are doing. We did this in Osaka when our church was five years old. So I apologize for the fuzzy picture here, but we asked Christians to put a blue dot on the map for where they were baptized and then add a yellow dot for the place where the person who brought them to faith was baptized and then add a red dot for the place where the person who brought that person to Christ was baptized. We then added some green dots for churches you may have had between your baptism and coming to our church there, Mustard Seed Christian Church, Osaka. And we also had black dots for people sent out from Mustard Seed Christian Church, Osaka, to be witnesses for Jesus in other places. These are just the connections from our one little new church in Osaka. We had six continents represented. There's one woman in our church whose husband is Japanese, and and he was baptized in our church, Japanese businessman, accountant. And I asked her, where were you baptized? And she said, Bangkok, Thailand. Well, who brought you to faith? Well, that would have been my roommate. Where where were they brought to faith? Um, London, England. Okay. London, England. Who shared the gospel with them? That would have been her parents who are from Lagos, Nigeria. So you see how the gospel spreads and moves across the world by the power of God? Here's my story on this map. I was baptized at LifeBridge Christian Church in Longmont, Colorado 27 years ago. My mom and dad led me to Christ. My, ba- my dad was baptized in Des Moines, Iowa. My mom was baptized in El Campo, Texas. My grandfather led my dad to Christ, and he became a Christian in Muskogee, Oklahoma. 23 years ago, my family moved to Missouri. We became members of Christ Church of Orinoco. That church and others sent us to Japan. Almost 10 years ago, we started Mustard Seed Christian Church in Nagoya. Two years after that, we moved to Osaka and started that church. And then Mustard Seed Christian Church Kobe and Kyoto were planted out of those two older churches. Those churches have now sent us to Tokyo to plant a fifth church there. When a church is planted, nobody knows the kind of impact it will have for the kingdom of God. For instance, the church where I was baptized is almost 130 years old. Their history says, In 1891, a small group of Christians began meeting in various places around the town of Longmont. So these these risk takers here took a risk and sacrificed time and money 
to start this church. And when I was baptized there in 1992, the church was 1,000 people and met in a huge building. And these people in 1891 didn't know that people in Japan would be able to trace part of their spiritual heritage to Longmont, Colorado. On December 5th, 1953, 33 people gathered in Orinogo, Missouri for the first meeting that would become my home church of Christ, Church of Orinogo. They scraped together a couple hundred dollars to buy land and old timber from old buildings, like an old skating rink. They bought this lumber to build their first building in 1959. This church is now home to thousands of people. And when they first started, they didn't plan on starting a church that would become thousands of people. They just gathered to worship Jesus. They just wanted to follow their king. And through that, the kingdom spread. This group of people planting a church in Missouri, they didn't plan on sending a kid to Japan 50 years later to speak the gospel message to Yuki in 2013. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what they did. Our church in Osaka started filling out this map on the 5th anniversary and putting blue dots on Osaka, Japan. And then started placing yellow dots on Missouri and Kansas and Illinois and Colorado and California and Arizona. That's where my wife is from, Arizona. They started placing red dots on Oklahoma and Texas and Indiana and Iowa. And all of those dots were church plants at one time. And the world needs more great churches. In 20 years from now, who will draw a gospel line back to your church? Who will draw a line back to your church in five years from now? What language will they speak? Where will your church send people? And in a hundred years from now, how many disciples will be made through the disciples at this church? If Jesus does not return first in 300 years from now, how will your church have spread the gospel across the world? And by the next month, who in this city will have heard the gospel from your lips? 5,000 years from now, in the new heavens and new earth, someone may come up to you and maybe they'll say something like, hey, were you a part of Sunnybrook Christian Church in 2019? Because they sent a missionary to Japan who helped, and they helped them plant this church and they helped them with a church building in Osaka and that church shared the gospel with my mom in 2089 and she shared the gospel with me. Does someone else in eternity say to you, thank you for planting a church in Tokyo because that church planted a church in Moscow where I first heard the gospel in 2119. When a church is planted, nobody knows the explosive potential of one church plant. God's big church is his design. It's his means for spreading the gospel. Through the church, God is glorified. Ephesians 3, 21, 20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, that we, than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice those words. In the church. Through this group of sinners redeemed by God's grace called a church, God is bringing people to himself. In the world's eyes, the church might seem frail and small and weak, and yet it is God's mighty, powerful, millennium-spanning instrument 
to bring glory to himself. How beautiful that we are saved by Jesus and how beautiful that we get to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ and used by God to bring glory to him. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray that you will continue to receive glory through this church. I pray, God, that as the gospel was preached earlier today when the sun came up in Japan, I pray that the seeds that were planted in those four churches will be watered and will grow. pray that more disciples will be made. Father, I pray for those who are in this room who don't yet believe, I pray that you will bring them to yourself, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to be glorified in this church and your global church and we stand in awe of what you've done and the way that you've redeemed us. Thank you, God, for saving us through Jesus and through his blood that paid for our sins. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.